No, um, welcome. I'm glad you're here. We're, we are wrapping up our series on Advent, and let me begin by telling you a story about World War I. You know, images of Christmas and war don't easily fit together in our minds, of course, right? I mean, the cold cruelty of war seems about as far away from, uh, you know, as one can get from the warm generosity of the holiday season. The pain and suffering of battle totally contradict the joy and celebration of Christmas, you know, but for those that fought in World War I, Christmas actually arrived in an amazing fashion. History.com can tell you all about the story, but it all came together in one special day. Life in the trenches was brutal and gruesome. New technologies such as tanks and mustard gas had advanced military capabilities to kill more efficiently and more painfully. I mean, war is a terrible thing. But against this kind of backdrop, some individuals in that war chose peace. Early in the war, during December of 1914, a big group of German and British soldiers took peace into their own hands. You see, on Christmas Eve, they sang and played carols to each other across the destroyed no-man's land, finding that they actually knew the same songs. The lyrics just sounded different, of course, because of different languages. But as they continued to sing, something seemed to happen. And early on Christmas Day, 1914, German soldiers walked across the scarred landscape, unarmed, shouting as best they could in their version of English, Merry Christmas to their enemies, who could have shot them, obviously. But the Allied soldiers, while they were a little distrustful, hesitated and put their guns down and eventually chose to also crawl out of their trenches and join the Germans, shaking hands, even exchanging gifts, things like cigarettes and plum pudding, as they sang Christmas carols together. The, um, the story goes that there was even a documented game of soccer during this unofficial ceasefire. Really an incredible moment. Now, the Christmas truce was never repeated, and unfortunately, the officers and the higher-ups made sure that uh, that was going to maintain because of uh, threats of punishment and all that. But on that one special day, the enemies did place their shared humanity above their grievances, and, and they experienced a Christmas spirit of peace, as I think God would want for all of us, in a truly powerful way, in an unbelievable fashion on that day. I mean, it's hard to imagine, but that must have been quite a sight to see peace happening in the middle of such chaos and a war-stricken area. Well, in a similar way, God's peace can fill us and rule within each of us as we are also in different ways surrounded by um, difficulty and death and destruction and evil. God's presence and His peace can pierce even the most dark and painful surroundings and circumstances in our worlds if we will simply allow Him access Christmas is typically and rightfully thought of as a season of joy, but as I have tried to explain over the last few weeks, if you've been here with us, it can also be a pretty painful season for some. It's a very lonely season for some. And maybe that happens to be you, or maybe it's somebody you care about and love. Well, if that's the case, I want to ask you to think about what battles are, are raging or are in play in your life. What pain is bombarding you as you hunker down in the trenches of your war zone? What darkness haunts you even under all the twinkling lights and candles and decorations? Well, 
we may not be able to end all the personal and emotional and cultural and physical wars that we are fighting this holiday season, but even in our darkest areas of life, I think what God wants us to think about today or be reminded of through His Word today is that Emmanuel, which means God with us, means peace can be here and be present in our lives even in the darkest and most difficult moments in our life. Today, as we continue our Advent journey toward Christmas, we're focusing on and celebrating this word, this concept, this idea of peace, the peace that has been brought into our world by Jesus, who again is Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. You know, if you've been journeying with us the past three weeks toward Christmas, you know that we've been celebrating Advent. If you're new with us, let me just recap real briefly. Um, The word Advent means coming or arrival. It is a season marked by expectation and anticipation. It is uh, all about waiting and longing. You see, Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It's not just a synonym for that word. It is a season that links the past with the present with also the future. Advent offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming Messiah to also the moment in the present where we celebrate His birth each year in our lives, but also to be linked to the future when we anticipate and are alert about His second coming that could happen anytime, maybe today. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, each week we've been focusing on a different attribute of God represented in Christ's coming, His first coming and His second coming, and the four words that flow downstream from that, and they are, as we talked about um, the last four weeks, they are the concept of hope in the middle of hopelessness, love in the middle of times that feel like anything but loving, joy in the middle of of the absence of that, and peace as well today. And as we talk about peace, I want to talk about the shepherds with you. Most are familiar with the Christmas story. You know the story of the shepherds, or at least have heard it. But the shepherds in the Christmas story often get a bad rap. They are presented as outcasts, kind of a dirty, you know, ragamuffin, unruly group that was at the bottom of the, uh, you know, ladder when it comes to society. And while they definitely did hold a lower place in society, not all scholars think that they deserve this lowest of the low rank that they are often associated with. In fact, at one point, shepherds had a very high position in Israel's history. They were highly esteemed. You see, faithful Jews, longtime Jews, would have known the stories of the patriarchs of their faith who were in many cases themselves shepherds. People like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even David, whom Jesus is a descendant of. All these were, at different points in their life, shepherds as well. But whether or not shepherds of Jesus' day, whether they were a totally motley crew or not, the profession had undeniably fallen in esteem and reputation since the days of the patriarchs. It is safe to say that no mama during Jesus' day saw her newborn baby and said, oh, I just pray and hope that he can grow up to be a shepherd. Nobody did that. Nobody aspired for such a role. And at the end of the other spectrum, I mean, you've got shepherds down here, but at the end of the spectrum on the other end would be the religious leaders of the day, smug in who they are and their moral goodness and their high positions of power. They made sure that everyone else knew their place in the class system. It was a big deal. Pharisees and Sadducees and the like were all at the top, while everyone else was somewhere beneath them, at least in their mind. 
They kept themselves lifted up by making sure that everybody else was always put down and put in their place. They believed that they were the only ones. I mean, if God is going to speak to the people, it would, of course, come through them. We are the ones, if anybody has a direct line to God, it would be the religious leaders of the day, the, again, Pharisees, Sadducees, and others like them. But So, it's in this hierarchy that we see this story begin to unfold. You know, imagine the surprise of these shepherds knowing this backdrop, knowing that, that they are the lowest of the low and thought of at least that way by everybody else. Imagine their surprise on that star-filled night on the outskirts of Bethlehem when the brightest star in the sky dimmed and then the whole dark expanse began to glow with the brilliant blinding light of an angel sent by Almighty God. What were those shepherds thinking? What was going on in their mind? I like how Luke describes the scene. He says this in his book. He says, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They weren't just like, whoa, startling, that's a little crazy. No, they were scared to death, petrified. What in the world is going on? That had to be their thought. I mean, like, they'd never seen or even imagined such a thought, such a, a situation. And now they were in the middle of it. And then as if seeing this hair-raising, intimidating angel wasn't enough, the glowing guy starts to talk. So, I mean, the Bible says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You know, the shepherds are just terrified and trembling. But he goes on, the angel says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Listen, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Wait, wait, what? A crazy message. Now, shocking and unbelievable, you know, as all this was, it's still just getting started because from there, now there's more. I mean, literally more, as in way more angels. The Bible continues. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. Now, great company, maybe that means dozens, maybe it means hundreds or even thousands. We don't know. But a great company, we're, we're all of a sudden there praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace. There's our word, peace to those on whom His favor rests. Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. What a scene. You know, the words were almost more unbelievable than the messengers themselves. If you really stop and imagine this context, this situation, the angels were making a proclamation of peace to those on whom God's favor rests, but they were making it not to the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the day. They were talking to the shepherds. They came to talk to the shepherds. Can you imagine the confusion and the doubts in these shepherds' mind when this all began? I would guess they turned to one another and were like, what in the world? They must have got their GPS signal wrong or something. I mean, why would they come to us? Who are we? That they, they would come? This can't be. What is happening here? And maybe another one would say, you know, turn to him and say, well, you know, I don't know, but they're clearly from God. I don't think God or His messengers make mistakes, so somehow this message must be for us, you know? His favor rests on us, and His peace is 
with us, they said. Wow. You know, and while we're on the subject of wondering what the shepherds might have been thinking during all this angelic, you know, encounter and all that, have you ever wondered what the sheep were doing all this time? You know, kind of made me stop and wonder, like, I wonder what happened there. I mean, I mean, granted, sheep have a reputation for being about as sharp as a bowling ball. I mean, they're just, you know, they're just not. You know, some of those phrases that we have heard about, you know, you use toward other people inappropriately, but things like, you know, not as, not, not as you know, or maybe the dullest, okay, I can't even remember them because I don't use them very often, but uh, not the sharpest tool in the shed, or things like the lights on but nobody's home, or or, you know, they, you got the whole six-pack, but they're missing the little plastic thingy that holds them all together. Or, you know, one fry, sort of a Happy Meal, or any of those kinds of things. Those phrases oftentimes flow downstream from sheep or people that seem sheep-like in some respect. So it's unlikely that these sheep didn't at least notice the bright light, you know, and hear all the loud noises. And, and while they weren't exactly racehorses, I have learned spooked, spooked sheep can move very quickly. I've learned that because I used to live in Oklahoma. And see, in Oklahoma, that's what people, they just, they just take care of sheep, right? That's what all Oklahomans do, right? I'm saying that for my Oklahoman friends, where are they at? But anyway, anyway, so, no, I just, I lived there seven years, so I can make fun of Oklahoma people. But anyway, the, the sheep are not, are not uh, uh, super fast, but they can run crazy fast when you think about that kind of situation. And my guess would be that they bolted during this heavenly announcement. So, the point would be that this was anything but a peaceful, silent night, calm, and, and uh, you know, beautiful time. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us all those details, and perhaps it was uh, different than that. Perhaps the sheep were just dazed and motionless and just, you know, like a statue. Maybe. Maybe. Or perhaps the sheep's response is simply irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. That's probably the right answer. But whatever the case, this was completely out of the ordinary, this wasn't supposed to happen in that God, if, he is suppo- if He's going to show up, everybody knew He's supposed to come to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, and yet He sends His angels to come and talk to shepherds? What is that all about? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. This kind of encounter is reserved for the super spiritual religious elite of the day, not the shepherds. But much like much of Jesus' coming, this announcement did not fit the mold of expectation. God often broke the mold in many respects. Ironically, the religious elite are not uh, even there at all. They are noticeably absent, in fact, from the birth announcement. Those considered by society, society to be the most holy weren't even given a nosebleed seat in the back of the stable to kneel you know, in the background and witness the arrival of the Messiah. Not one Pharisee was visited by an angel. It's interesting. The announcement to the shepherd that God had come to be with us in human form in the birth of the Messiah turned the current system at that time upside down. It reminded people then, and it reminds us today, that God's favor, God's favor is not based on human standards. It reminds me a lot of what we see in the book of Samuel You know, similarly, when God chose young David to be the next king of Israel, he did so in a way that shocked everybody. I mean, David, again, was the youngest of the seven brothers. He was the simple shepherd. He was tending his sheep. He was the least highly thought of, apparently, among those seven brothers. And yet, 1 Samuel 16 records that Samuel, just like probably you or I, if we'd have been given the task of anointing a king, was leaning towards somebody more impressive, 
toward one of David's older, bigger, stronger, more impressive brothers. And yet, check out verse 7 of that chapter. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, meaning the older brother, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that's probably a sobering or at least maybe even, maybe even scary thought for some, for those at least that have maybe compromise in their hearts that you, you're aware of, maybe nobody else, but you know. Or maybe you're one of those who just focuses on the exterior. You're all about what people see and how you look and the image you present and all of that. And you focus on being pretty, and this kind of verse makes you go, whoa, wow, I don't know. That's, that's kind of a scary thought. Now, it's comforting to the rest of us, you know, the ugly people with ugly sweaters and bald heads and all that, you know, but, but seriously, it, it is a, it's an interesting thought to remember that God's favor is on those who humbly acknowledge their brokenness because He looks at the heart, not on the outside. He looks at those who are willing to say, God, I, I don't have a lot, but what I have is yours. It's not about me, but as far as I go, I'm all yours. I'm yours. And that's what God looks for. And that's the people that He comes to bring hope and joy and love and peace to. Not only at that first Christmas, but today as well. You know, the angel appeared to shepherds. The shepherds received the announcement of the good news, and then they became the message bearers of God. It's pretty amazing how in just three short steps, this whole thing became full circle as Jesus arrived. It kind of brought about a restoration for the reputation of shepherds. You know, in fact, throughout His teaching over the next 33 years, Jesus used shepherds and the analogy of a shepherd many times, but it was always as a good thing, not as a bad thing as was often associated at this time. In fact, Jesus went on to call Himself the Good Shepherd and talk about how He loves and cares for His sheep, meaning you and me. That restoration of wholeness and oneness with God is the essence of this word for today, the concept of peace. The comforting knowledge that all is well and as it should be brings peace to our soul, peace to our heart. And I think that's what God wants for each of us today, to know and understand and to accept and receive and live within His peace. Jesus' announced arrival to the shepherds marked the starting place of peace to all those on whom His favor rests. And that includes you, you, you and me, all of us. The God of peace is truly with us. Peace, you see, is not based on class or position or occupation. It is based on His purpose and His design to bring, as the angel said, quote, good news that will cause great joy for all the people, all the people. So, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. The Prince of Peace has come. Good time to say amen. Amen. On, that, on this first Sunday of Advent, I want you to look and contemplate with me what this whole concept looked like in history, but more importantly, what it looks like and how it affects us in our daily world today, here in 2018. You know, way back in history, as recorded in the Old Testament, when God gave the law of Moses, or the law to Moses, and set up the rules and duties and all of that of the priests to guide the spiritual life of the ancient Jews... He gave them a special verbal blessing 
that they could speak over the people. It's a beautiful thing. And yet it's not just for those priests and those people. It's something I encourage you to memorize. Maybe you even reword it to some degree, but maybe you memorize it word for word. But speak this like speaking, speaking uh, uh, life into other people over them today. It's from Numbers chapter 6. Here's the blessing you can say to others. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. What a beautiful thing to say to somebody else. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your parents, your neighbors, your spouse. Maybe it's that person you haven't been getting along well with lately. But the Hebrew word here used in this blessing and throughout the Old Testament is the word shalom. And it conveys so much. It conveys rich, powerful meaning. So much more than just the absence of fighting. This concept of peace, this idea of shalom reflects completeness and wholeness. This is the type of peace brought by God with us, by Emmanuel. Jesus is the Prince of Shalom foretold by the prophet Isaiah in the familiar words, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace or Shalom. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. You know, this completeness and wholeness with God is what Jesus brought into our world. It is the peace that calms our souls, our storms today. It is the calm acceptance that all is well, that it is well with my soul, as we like to sing, no matter what the storm around us might look like. This is the peace we celebrate today. And when Jesus returns one day, it will be the peace that He personifies and makes perfect in every way for all eternity. You know, near the end of Jesus' life on this earth, He spoke some words to His disciples shortly before He was arrested, before He was crucified. He said this to them, Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Now, I do not give, as, give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be terrified or afraid. See, Jesus knew His followers were about to experience a crushing blow in His death on the cross, in that crucifixion. He was ready. He knew what was coming, but they did not. They could not understand, and they were not ready. So he had a gift for them that was different from anything this world could offer, different than anything they'd ever experienced before, different than anything that anybody could possibly give to someone else, something that nobody could take from them, something that nobody could create or conjure on their own. You see, it is not the absence of pain or hurt or noise or violence or uncertainty that defines peace. Peace is actually a person. Peace is Jesus with us, God with us, the Prince of Peace. Through His power, through His presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is with us in a way that goes beyond anything our world can comprehend. And His 
assurance to his disciples that day was that even in their world that was about to be blown upside down or blown apart, that was about to seem hopeless, that he would still be there with them and that they could still be at peace even in the middle of that. And this is the same peace that he promises you and I, no matter what our situations look like in our world today. So, how about you? How about me? How peaceful is your Christmas season this year? It's just two days, less than 48 hours away. It's almost on us, and yet some, if they were honest and had to describe how their world is going right now, they might use the word hectic or frantic or at least busy. How about this? Does anybody still have Christmas shopping to do tomorrow? On Christmas Eve, anybody? we had some brave people in first service that admitted it, and then I made fun of them, so I'm glad none of you did that. But, but I mean, that's a crazy thing to actually be in that boat. And if you are, you know, it's what it is. But for you, maybe it's something different. Maybe it's an overloaded schedule that robs you of your peace, a just crazy, frantic pace that you live by, not just in the Christmas season, but all year round. If so, that's probably something God wants to work with you about or work with you on. Or maybe it's something more like relational tension or pressures at work or maybe a lost job or a lost relationship or a loss of health, maybe some sort of illness, you name it. But for many of us, peace sounds more like a pipe dream, you know, something that a preacher can stand up and talk about, something we can look forward to in, in the sense, you know, like in a fairy tale land or we hope for it or we... We aspire to that. It's nice to think about. It's a good thought or idea, but it's not really attainable, not in our world today. Well, if that's where you find yourself, or maybe you know somebody who is there, let me encourage you. I want to encourage you to understand that Jesus can and will show up when the storms of your life threaten your peace and your hope and your joy in a way that if you've never experienced it yet, it's not of this world. He is there with us when love seems lost and the way forward seems totally unclear. And yes, it is hard to grasp. In fact, even the disciples who, I mean, they spent 24-7, they spent time with Jesus for three plus years, and yet they had a hard time grasping it as well. Do you remember the story of the disciples in the boat, in the Sea of Galilee? That's probably familiar for many of you. It must have been one, one crazy bad storm. I mean, if you think about the fact that these disciples who are most of them seasoned veterans, they are familiar with this sea, they, they understand boating and fishing and all of that, and yet they were terrified, much like the shepherds when the angels showed up. They were in that kind of a boat. As the water began to fill their boat, the Bible tells us they were scared to death. And as the waves rose and the winds howled, Scripture tells us Jesus slept like a baby through all of that. Finally, the disciples shook him awake, shouting at him, probably trying to remain respectful, but still saying, wake up! What is wrong with you? Jesus, how can you be asleep? Don't you even care what's going on? You know, I, I, pardon me, excuse me, but please, Jesus, wake up! Mark records it like this. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
And I love then what Mark records happened. Then he, Jesus, arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Can you imagine that? I mean, picture that. I mean, the boat's rocking, wind and waves are splashing over. I mean, you're hanging on for everything, you know, hoping that you don't die. And the next moment, it's calm like glassy waters. Those disciples in that moment before the calm sure sound a lot like you and me, don't they? Kind of been like them, maybe been in their boat. When things aren't looking so good, we're often quick to cry out in our own way, our own tone, and maybe in our own silence or our hearts, maybe out loud, but one way or another we say something like, God, what's wrong? Don't you care? Do you realize what's happening? Kind of crazy to ask God questions like this, isn't it? We think He's not paying attention, or at least we seem to think that, or we seem to think He doesn't realize the magnitude of our situation, and, or maybe He's just not capable. Maybe He just doesn't care. But in reality, the truth is God is there. God does care. And He knows all that swirls around us and within us, and He sees beyond the waves and winds of our circumstances. And here is something we need to never, ever forget. Listen to this. The power of His peace is not threatened by the size of your storm. I want you to remember that. Think about that. The, the power of His peace is not threatened by the size of your storm. If only we could really trust that. You see, we can. Truly, we can allow that to be something we not just listen to as a Sunday school lesson or a sermon on Sunday, but something that we truly internalize and believe. We can do that and allow Him to give us strength and courage and peace in the middle of whatever we're facing if we will simply take Him at His word. Like, well, what do you mean, Scott? How, how is that? Well, I will tell you for one thing, it's by focusing on what He tells us to focus on, by literally reading His word and following through and doing what He tells us to do. Like when He tells us in Philippians 4, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, He gives us eight words here, think about it. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure or lovely or admirable, or if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Dwell on, meditate on, focus on such things. And we go, ah, that's really, that's really cool. Oh, but then we go right back to dwelling on and focusing on and being afraid of whatever. You know, speaking of the number eight, there are eight things there that he tells us to focus on that we need to just take him at his word and do. Speaking of the number eight, though, there are eight letters in the word negative. But you know what? There's also eight letters in the word positive. There are five letters in the word worry and chaos, but there are also five words in the, or five letters in the word peace and in the name Jesus. You see, we get to choose. Do we want to focus on the left or the right? The, going down that same road, there are seven letters in the word despair, seven letters in the word hopeful, six in the word broken, six in the word healed, five in wrong, five in right. Four in hate, but also four in love. Three in the word cry, and three in the word joy. 
You see, life is a double-edged sword. Yes, there is a lot of darkness in our world, negativity in our world, but Jesus is the light of the world, and where there is light, where there is light darkness must flee. That is what we need to dwell on and fill the negativity or the darkness in our world with the positivity and the light of Jesus and the darkness must flee. We need to do what God tells us through Paul in 2 Corinthians, which is to take every thought captive, to make it obedient to Christ. That's a cool sentence. I've enjoyed thinking about that, trying to dig into that. And by the way, we're not talking about the power of of positive thinking I mean, that's, I guess, a fine thing, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the power of God's Word and the power of His, of His Holy Spirit if we will simply do what He tells us to do, and that is to read His Word and then live it out and do what He tells us to do. He also tells us in Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Not just something, again, to, you know, put on a frame it and put it on your wall. It's something to live out, to set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And when the things of earth start to get you down, then you say, oh, dear God, help me. Help me to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, so what Jesus also talked about in Matthew 6. And help me to, to really dwell on these right things, things that are true and noble and right, pure and lovely and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. Dwell on such things. You see, God's Word and God's peace will bring a powerful transformation into our lives if we simply pick up the book and follow the instructions. How many of you men in the room, maybe ladies too, but especially men are notorious for this, open something, buy something, whatever, get something, has instructions, and then leave the instructions over there and try to figure it out on your own. Have you done that? Been there, done that? All right. A lot of men, maybe some of you ladies too. You know, if, if you're dealing with, you know, Lego set or whatever, some other thing that you bought at Walmart, that's probably okay. You can go there, but not when it comes to spiritual matters. Read the Bible, follow the instructions, and just live out what God tells you to do, and life will go so much better in every context. That doesn't mean that it's always going to be absent of trouble or difficulty or hardship or illness, but it will go much better if we do it God's way. No matter what we are anxious about or worried about, we can bring our needs and our requests to God and trust Him to be big enough, loving enough, capable enough to meet those needs. I want to ask you to stand with me, if you will, and I, I want to lead us in a prayer. Let, let me quote for you first from, from God's Word how we can do that. Another just very straightforward instruction from God's Word. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 tells us, To not be anxious or worried. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, that leaves out nothing, right? But in everything, with with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Lay them at His feet. Present your request to God. And then, it's an if-then kind of thing, then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to ask you, if you would, to close your eyes and bow your head, and let me lead us in praying through that Scripture. I'll talk out loud. You can if you want as well, but let's pray that together. Lord, God, we stand before you in a world filled with chaos, that five-letter word, but what we need is peace. 
And we know that is found in Jesus. Another five-letter word. And oh, dear God, I want to just live out your word. So on behalf of all of us here today, Lord, we want to do what you told us to do through Paul in this passage. Lord, we want to not worry about anything, to not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Lord, help us to remember that means literally everything. Lord, help us to present our requests to you through prayer and petition and with thanksgiving. Help us to not forget to be grateful for all that we have, even when we're struggling or worried or tempted to worry about X, Y, Z. Lord, help us to be grateful and to present these things to you, lay them at your feet, and then to trust you to do what you've always done, which is to keep your word. Always you have done so. So Lord, will you again then, as we do our part, will you then give us the peace that we're focused on and thinking about today that passes all understanding, that you've designed to to transcend all understanding, go beyond anything this world can ever offer us through the power of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Lord, that is our prayer, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. As we sing now and as we worship, I want to invite you in the calmness and quiet of this song that we're about to sing. If you want to come, to come and do so and lay down your burdens before him. 2 Thessalonians 3 says, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Do you want that? At all times and in every way. It's God's work. So I invite you, let's worship him and sing to him. And if you want to come and kneel or talk with or pray with somebody, we do that. But let's worship him together.